Welcome to Christ Church Conway's podcast. We hope that the resources you find here are used by the Spirit to strengthen you in your faith through the study of Scripture and theology. If you have a Bible, turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to read again, we've already read it in in parts, but I'm going to read again all in kind of one fell swoop this incredible passage. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. Here again God's holy word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Most gracious Father, would you add your blessing to this reading of your word? And would you strengthen me even in these moments to preach in the power of your spirit that I and all who hear might be strengthened by your word? We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, Ephesians chapter 2, particularly verses 8 and 9, but really all of chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, is one of those passages that we run to when we need uh, you know, a, an evangelistic passage. You know, if you were asked, hey, well, what's a, a Bible verse that, that you could go to to share the gospel with someone? Well, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 would be fantastic. It, it lays out the whole story. Sin and God's mercy and grace and salvation by grace through faith. I mean, this is one of the passages where we get that language, that we are saved by grace through faith. I mean, it's right there in Ephesians 2, 8. And, and, and this is indeed, uh, you know, Don't be confused. This is indeed a great passage to take someone to to explain the gospel to them. But here's what's interesting. Paul wasn't writing this evangelistically. Have you ever thought about that? This is an incredibly evangelistic passage. It announces the gospel so beautifully. But Paul wasn't writing this to non-believers. He wasn't writing this to to pagans, to to heathens, to to those who live, you know, beyond the the, the pale. That's, no. This is a passage that Paul wrote to Christians to comfort them. This is a passage that Paul wrote to Christians 
in part as God's answer to the prayer that he prayed that we looked at last week. And, and, and a lot of commentators think that, that this actually should be considered as, as a paragraph with that prayer. Remember what his prayer was. He's praying, he, he says, for this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord, right? So he knows they're Christians, but he prays that God would, would work, that their, the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. That was Paul's prayer for these Christians. Why would he pray such a prayer for Christians? Well, because as we talked about last week, our our tendency is to take our eyes off of Jesus, to to look down at ourselves, to look down at our sin. As we sang earlier, we're, we're prone to wonder from the great promises and truths of the gospel, aren't we? And, and it's not just at certain times. When life gets hard, we're prone to wander off into despair, wondering, has God forgotten me? Are his promises true? Has he reneged on on what he said he would do? But when, when things go fantastic and we want for nothing, we're prone to wonder also. And our wondering then looks more like, well, I mean, I don't really, I've got everything I need. The bills are paid. The house is cool. Or warm if it's winter. There's food on the table. I've got great friends. Life is going great. And we, we wander away from seeing that every breath is dependent on God. And that's the normal Christian experience. That's why Paul writes to these Ephesians. And we don't know exactly what it was that they were facing it's hard to tell and people make different guesses about it, but but we don't know exactly what the issue was, but it's clear, it's clear that these Christians needed to be reminded in the midst of whatever it was that they were facing in life. They needed to be reminded of what was true about them. And so Paul begins, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And he he goes on. But I want us to notice something here. He's being honest about the reality of their sin. And and we need to be honest about the reality of our sin. It does us no good to act like we don't need a Savior. But notice that all the language is past tense. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Why does he say that? If that's not the case anymore, if if it's not the case that we're still dead in our trespasses and sins, then why does Paul bother to say this? Why? We'll just go on to the good stuff then. Forget the we were dead. Let's just talk about we are alive. Here's why he says this. Because Satan, the accuser, will come 
and he will do everything he can. And yes, he is on that chain that we talked about last week, but he will do everything he can to convince you that you are dead and that you have no hope and that you are walking in what you once walked in. And so Paul reminds the Ephesians and us that's not the reality. That's that's not the truth about us. Yes, we were dead. Yes, we did all of those things. And yes, we may still fail now. But when we fail now, it's not failing because we're dead in our sins. Our flesh is still kicking and screaming and and, and railing against the work of the Spirit. And as Paul tells us that in Galatians 5, that the the flesh and the Spirit are at war with each other to keep us from from doing what we want to do. But when we fail now, It's not because we're dead in our sins. Because we're not. This is this incredible doctrine that that Martin Luther talked about. The the reality of the Christian life is that we're, we're simultaneously saints and sinners at the same time. How, how can that possibly be? Well, for one, we were dead, but, but for two, we, we do still sin. But the gospel, the gospel. See, now what Paul tells us in, in verses 4 through 9 is, is that now what defines us is not what did define us. What defines us now is the hope of Christ. What defines us now is the finished work of Jesus. What defines us now is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What defines us now is God's declaration that we are alive in Jesus Christ. His declaration that we are justified before Him, counted righteous in Christ. His declaration that we are in fact holy in Jesus Christ. That's what defines us now. There's a lot of kind of talk about being authentic and true to yourself and all of these different things and trying to figure out who we are and and all of that. And, And that can be helpful. That can be fine. I get it. But what we must understand, what we must understand is that what most clearly what most basically defines who we are now is what Christ has done for us and who we have been made to be in Him. We were dead. We were walking, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan is real. He really works and leads people away. We were, by nature, children of wrath, 
but God, being rich in mercy. Notice the verb tenses have now changed. You were dead. You were a child of wrath, but God is merciful. That's why those first verbs are all past tense. Because God, eternally present tense, is merciful. Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead. Do you understand that? Sometimes we we fall into this trap and... And look, if you've been to church here or any other kind of Reformed or or, or Lutheran church for any amount of time at all, you would never vocalize on purpose that, like, you didn't need Jesus. that That you were something other than dead in your sins. Like, you just know better. You know that, like, someone's coming out of the cheap seats to, like, take you out if you say something like that, right? But, we're honest. We, we do have a tendency to think. We wouldn't vocalize it, but we do have a tendency to think. Jesus didn't have to shed much blood for me. So Paul reminds us again, no, we were dead. All the way, all the way, dead in sin. And that's when God loved us. Not when we were getting some things right. Not between bouts of profound failure. When we were dead in our trespasses, at our lowest, worst, most horrible, shameful point. God, being rich in mercy, loved us and gave us his son and made us alive together with Christ. Do you see the the picture there? Jesus literally dead, buried in the tomb. Three days later, God makes him alive. That's what Paul wants us to understand. You and I, literally dead in our sins, unable to do anything, unable to to, to get anything right, dead, dead. God came to us and made us alive. You and I are the valley of dry bones that Ezekiel saw. When he looked out over that valley, there was some section of it that he could have been if God had so led him. Like, oh, that's Christ Church Conway right there. And then God spoke and we all came alive. We were dead. And God loved us and gave life to us with Christ. See, it's all dependent, again, as we've seen every step of the way through Ephesians, it's all dependent on Jesus Christ. Without Him, there is no fulfillment of the plan that God had to unite all things in Him. Without Him, there is no hope on which we can look up and set our eyes. Without Him, there is no being made alive. 
with him. With him. Even deadness can't stop life. By grace, you have been saved. Paul interrupts himself to announce that. By grace. By by something that he did for us. People define grace different ways. God's riches at Christ's expense. Getting what you don't deserve. All of that. All of that. The point of of grace or or favor, the the point of this word is that it's something that comes to us, not something that is is awarded to us. it's, It's not grace when we get a paycheck. We're grateful for getting a paycheck, but it's not grace when we get a paycheck. We've done the work. We're worthy of the wages. It's grace when we haven't done the work. When we're not worthy of the wages. And somebody says, hey, here. Here's some money. That's grace. That's how we've been saved. We weren't worthy of salvation. We hadn't done the work to be called holy. There's no no reason in the world that, that God should have counted us righteous or justified us, or or declared us to be righteous. No. No reason at all. But he did. He did. And he raised us up, again, this resurrection language, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's this weird, already, not yet, how do we wrap our heads around it kind of theology that Paul loves to give us. On the one hand, I can say you're sitting in the sanctuary at Christ Church Conway at 1065 Clayton Suite. I think this is Suite 3. And there you are, and I can point to you, and I can come shake your hand and give you a hug or whatever. At the same time, I can say to you, That God in Christ has raised you up and seated you at His right hand with Jesus in heaven right now. Right now. That's one of the weird tensions that we have to live with if we're going to take the Bible seriously. That, that, That we're already seated there. We already have a seat at the table. We're already lifted up. Our hearts are lifted up to the heavenly places and we're not yet there. That's the tension you feel in this life. That's it. All those those moments when you feel like I want to be here. I want to love these people. I want to do what's right here, but I don't feel like I belong here. That's the tension. It's what Paul wrote in the book of Philippians. To live is Christ. To die is gain. That's the tension that he felt. It's the tension we sing about when we sing that this world is not our home. 
And He's done this so that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Here's what that translates into. It's going to get better. As good as it is right now to sit and know that we are sinners and to be fully seen as sinners and fully loved by God and declared righteous and and counted holy and all of those things, as good as that is, it's going to get better. Because He has seated us in the heavenly places with Christ so that in the coming ages He can show us the immeasurable riches of His grace so that He can bring us to that day when it's not already, not yet. It's just already and forever. When He wipes away every tear from our eyes, when He fills up everything that's been broken, when He makes all of the rough places perfectly smooth, when death is no more, and sickness is no more, and sin is no more, and we dwell in the overwhelming riches of His grace in Jesus Christ forever. It's going to get better. And that's what we hold on to. Because it's not better right now. Sometimes we we fool ourselves into thinking it is. But it's not better right now. We have hope right now. We have hope right now. Because Christ has conquered sin. Christ has shut Satan's mouth. Christ has conquered death. And Christ has made a way for us, His people, to come back to the garden of glory forever. We have hope right now. But it's hope in the midst of darkness. It's hope in the midst of despair. It's it's hope and comfort in the midst of pain and suffering. But it's hope that reminds us it is, in fact, going to get better. And the hope will be fulfilled. Because we have been saved. And we have been raised. And we have been seated. And we are in Christ Jesus. And there is a day that is coming when all the sad things really do come untrue. And everything is restored. And everything is made right. Paul repeats himself once again in verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now here's, there's two sides to this truth. There's probably a lot of sides to this truth. There's, there's two that I want to remind us of this morning. One that we talk about a lot is, is, is seeing... See, in this, you you can't make your own way. You can't do it. 
You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough, accomplished enough, right? Like you can't make your own way so that no one may boast. And, and we talk about that a lot. But the other side of the coin, when we talk about all of this, is more comforting. You don't have to. You don't, you don't have to feel that pressure. You don't have to put that pressure on yourself. It's a gift from God for you, your salvation is. You don't have to pay him back. It's not like a, uh, an advance on work you're going to do. He didn't, he didn't take us down to the money store with a pay stub. No. This isn't any kind of advance like that. It's just salvation. You have been saved. You are justified. And that is a gift from God. Annie and I talk about from time to time that, that there's kind of two kinds of people in the world and you can divide them up however you want. But, but the way we talk about it, there's some people that need to be told you can't keep the law. And there's other people that need to be told you don't have to. The gospel tells us both. You can't. You, you can't earn your own righteousness. The, the righteousness is too great. And good news, you don't have to either. God gives it graciously as a gift, not a result of works. So guess what? By your present failures or by you remembering your past failures, you don't lose it. You don't lose the gift. No loving parent would, would give their child a, a birthday gift or a Christmas gift and, and then because they like did something. Okay, well, I guess there are some qualifications as I say this because there are times when I have taken toys away from my children that were gifts because they did something. But you get where I was going to go. Right? Because they didn't earn the gift. It was freely given. And it wasn't given as an advance on something good they were going to do. It was given because it was a time of year where we express our love for one another in that fashion. But where that analogy fails with Christmas or birthdays, it doesn't fail with God. He doesn't give the gift and see us misuse it or see us do something else wrong and then be like, you know what, no. You go put that and go put your salvation in my closet for two weeks. And then you can have it back. And we laugh. We think that's the silliest thing you've said in a while, preacher. But it's how we act. We'll get real nasty about Catholics. 
But we love personal penance. We love it. And when we go down that road, we're missing the giftness of salvation. We don't have to put our salvation in our Father's closet for a couple weeks because we got something wrong. And then we get to get it back out and play with it. It's just ours. Why? Because we're His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's why. The, the reason that, that He doesn't, you know, get on to us like that and, and, and do those things that we just, we need to do those things as parents, okay? That's part of teaching our kids stuff. But the reason God doesn't do that is because He has created good works for us to walk in. And the only way that we can walk in them, John tells us in John 15, is to abide in Jesus. So think about it. If salvation is abiding in Jesus, and somehow He could take that gift away, we could no longer walk in the good works that He's prepared for us to do. That's why when they came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be doing the works of God? His answer was, believe in the one that He sent. Because that's the only way forward. To believe in Him. If you abide in Me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from Me, you can do nothing. This is why the, 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 the Westminster Divines, those old dead guys that wrote the, the confession when they came to defining sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is a work of God's free grace. God's free grace. And they were talking about the growth in holiness that we call sanctification. See, because God was merciful to us, because He's gracious to us, we have life. And our entire life depends on Him being merciful and gracious to us. And the good news of the gospel is that He is. He is. And yes, He disciplines us like the author of Hebrews says, like a loving father. But he doesn't do that by taking away the gift for a time until we prove that we can handle it responsibly. We were dead, but God made us alive in Christ Jesus and raised us up and seated us with him. Most gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that you write the gospel to believers because, oh, how we need to be reminded of your promises. Oh, how we need to be reminded that our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Oh, how we need to be taught again and again not to attach our hope to the things of this world 
but to your mercy and your grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. Continue, Father, to teach us to do that. Amen.